Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. In an era of online retail where everything is just a few clicks away, buying a car should be no different. That's why at Carvana, you can buy a car 100% online. We made it easy to browse, view, and buy from over 10,000 cars. You can even trade in your old car, all while binge-watching your favorite TV show. Afterwards, we'll deliver your car to you. Or you can pick it up from one of our car vending machines. Either way, your car comes with a seven-day return policy. So grab a seat, relax in your comfy pants, and enjoy the new way to buy a car at Carvana. That little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry Nemroff and I'm sitting, I was going to say across from, but no, we're still not across from each other, but I'm next to virtually Haley Fouch. Hi, Hi. Haley. Hi, Perry. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm all right. As long as, as long as Dewey's content right now and I don't run the risk of him toppling the set, I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think I have anybody in the room. Last week when we tried to tape and uh, had some tech problems, I also had cats kind of fighting in the closet. And I was like, we'll just see how that goes. Just fighting in the closet. No big deal. We'll see if that shows up on the audio. I feel like Dewey always gets a case of the crazies minutes before I'm supposed to record something. That tracks. They know. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure dur- during our recent uh you know, work Slack meeting, you all got like a great butt shot of Dewey. <laughs> there was there was a point where he legit like he didn't even just walk past the camera. He sat right here and decided to like show his behind in that direction. He likes to show off. Yeah, that he does. Um all right. We have a very full show today and a lot of stuff to get to. I'm gonna toss it to you first to tee all of this up because um there there's a lot of planning that went into this. Yeah, so, you know, given what the country is sort of processing and going through right now, um, we thought it would be good to use our platform to celebrate Black filmmakers in horror, Black voices in horror, the history of all that, and bring some awareness to it, attention to good charities, things you can do. These are tough conversations and uh we are clearly not quite experts in them so we are gonna uh, you know use our platform to showcase highlight and celebrate knowing that 
part of the deal of being an ally and learning to be a good ally is being comfortable with being uncomfortable and knowing that you will probably say something wrong and then being open to taking that criticism and learning from it. I feel confident I'll say something wrong. I'm open to learning from it. And uh, did want to address if you're asking yourself two very valid questions. Why have there not been more Black voices on this show itself? Fair, something we are aware of, something we discussed recently before this conversation started happening, took an inventory of ourselves and found it wanting and committed to do better. And this has only furthered that. Uh, The second very valid question is, why do you not have a Black voice with you today to discuss this? And frankly, that just came down to... I don't want to put this on anyone right now. I feel that all my black friends and colleagues are really processing a lot right now. And it's, you know, you, you don't want to put the burden of doing the right thing on, on the people who are being hit hardest by this right now. And that said, of course, we will continue to uh, put the groundwork down to make those ask. And you can consider this an open invitation to diverse voices in the industry. If you are watching this and want to be here with us, let us know. The door is open. We will do those invitations behind the scenes in a way that hopefully does not put any pressure or, you know, any added burden to anyone, but also in a very open, non-burden way. Please join us. Let us know if you want to be here. Very well said, Haley. I I will re-emphasize everything you just said. And I don't know, I guess also add to one particular point, because this was this was very much, you know, my experience trying to pivot my voice in order to actually do something rather than run scared from it. And it's I think it was in one of our group slacks, maybe, or maybe it was an offshoot. But but someone someone said to me, you can't be afraid to say the wrong thing. Otherwise, you're doing nothing to inspire the change needed. So if that means running the risk of not saying everything perfectly all the time, then, you know, I, I need to suck it up and take that risk. And I've, I've taken some baby steps the last week in doing so. And I'm, I'm really excited to bring that effort to a, a brand and a show that I'm, I'm really proud of. And I'm really excited to make better and even more inclusive in the next years and, and beyond because the witching hour is full force always. And I mean, just looking at our lineup at a glance right now, I mean, we've got something I think real, real, I don't even think it's just about talking about it right now. Like, I feel like we should probably in the description section of this video add a full filmography of everything that we touch on, including any um, any uh, charity options we have to bring up also, because there's there's been quite a few that have crossed my eye in uh, recent days and weeks. And, you know, I'm just... I'm I'm looking forward to using the platform that we're lucky enough to have to bring more awareness to causes like that and to voices that, you know, were were unfairly not given that opportunity before. It's it's time to change that and I want to be a part of it. Yeah, exactly. And we talked about this before deciding to do the show. Is it too little? Does it look self serving? And the truth is it goes back to what Perry just said, like saying things and saying the wrong thing, whether 
rather than saying nothing at all. Similarly, better to do too little than nothing at all. And so this is our little step in the right direction in which we will not just celebrate the um, Black voices and filmmakers in horror, but also, you know, look to promote furthering those conversations to, uh, you know, generally trying to point people in the right direction and hopefully, you know, point ourselves in the right direction as well in the, in the midst. Yeah. And, and I think I've got high hopes this episode is going to be a good start to doing that. So to dig right into it here, do, we want to start with, with a movie that is available to watch for free right now. And, and I will say that's, that's probably one of the most exciting, you know, film related news stories that I've seen lately is like this important film that everyone should have access to all the time is now available for free. The most recent one that caught my eye, especially because last week I went to watch this movie and I couldn't find it anywhere. Like I even wanted to go and pay for it on a VOD platform, but because I don't know, I think it had a deal with Cinemax, it wasn't available and it's the movie The Hate You Give, but there's a whole bunch of uh distributors and production companies doing a similar thing and one of the ones in the mix there is Shutter and Shutter has made Horror Noir available for free whether you have a Shutter account or not and there I really truly believe there is no better place to start if you want to learn about just the black community in the horror genre and film in general too, especially with where this movie starts. But if you want to learn about the importance of, you know, I, I was also, I was just amazed by how they, they embraced tropes, like things that need to change, but also made the most of them and made an impact with them, but just the whole history there and how it's changing the industry for the better. I cannot recommend horror noir enough. Yeah. I obviously back that completely. It's, um, it's a really ideal starting point for if you just feel like you don't know anything. I mean, it's, it's obviously just one documentary length feature so it's not going to teach you everything about the subject that's a whole scholarly field on its own but the the documentary is so concise and formative directed by Xavier Bergen I believe you say his name and um if you want more there there's also a book horror noir by Robin R. Means Coleman that this was sort of um, inspired from. And it's all, we don't want to like, <clears throat> I would say start there to really get the older history of this in which I am no expert. Um, and, you know, it takes you from everything like the really nasty primal type films they made about black characters through black exploitation, through uh, you know the the hip hop themed horror movies of the '90s, all the way up to today, and Get Out and how that changed culture. Um, but for for our purposes, knowing that we are not experts in the early cinema, early black horror cinema, or I'm not an expert in any or early cinema, if I'm being honest, um, I like my contemporary films. But uh, I will, I would say for our purposes, we'll, we'll really start the conversation with um, Night of the Living Dead, which is not a black filmmaker 
but was the, you know, sort of pivotal step, a pivotal step in the direction of inclusive casting when George Romero made the choice to hire a black actor for the lead role. And he insists and always had that he cast him because it was the best actor to show up on the day. And I believe that. Mm -hmm. I do not for a second believe that George Romero, one of our great cultural commentators, did not know what he was doing by casting that Oh, he absolutely did. Yeah. I think that's 100% true. Just to to back up really quickly, not to turn this into a full-blown horror noir review, but <laughs> I just, like, I want to emphasize how well put together that documentary is just because of, again, I will restate the fact that, like, you know, if you're coming at it from a place where you don't know much and you need a starting point, A plus, A plus route to take. And also... If you're looking for like a filmography list, a, th- a list of things to watch, that movie has it. But I think also it's kind of like the personal touch of how the interviews are conducted and captured and how the whole thing is put together that really does make it feel like such a seamless and fluid, you know, uh, like recounting of events and how we got to where we are today and just the content that the thoughts that are expressed in the interview, it it makes it more so than just, you know, reading a Wikipedia page. It makes it feel deeply personal. And I find that those are the types of things that are having a bigger impact on me right now. Not something that just says like, this is how it is, but rather like, this is how it is and come in and and experience and, and learn from me and let me show you what it really means as you know a filmmaker a human being and so on and i don't know i think that's why this isn't just a history lesson but it's got a really profound like human effect and i think we need everything right now to inspire change and make a difference yeah and if you um which you will be because they're fantastic if you are really drawn as perry has just said to the interviews themselves and that human element there are actually extended versions of a lot of the interviews available. I'm not sure if those are free right now, but if you have Shutter or Shutter through your Amazon account, you can watch these uh, longer versions of the conversation with the the filmmakers and actors and critics and commentators that they talk to, and they're just just outstanding, outstanding. Mm-hmm. You you can see how difficult the editors must have had a time of cutting things out. Man, now I wish I looked up the editors' names because ch- job well done, job oh. well done in, in that respect, and also whoever handled the uh, the cinematography and the lighting in the theater. There was there was something about that too that just made me feel like I was sitting in a theater with them, and it made it feel like I don't know, just like the cinema is home. Oh, now I miss movie theaters. <laughs> All right. Night of the Living Dead is is obviously essential for a multitude of reasons. Do we want to? Do we want to go right down this list here and keep going? I want to make sure we get. I want to make sure we get to everything. Yeah, I think we should carry on and simply say that you know, like that was a revolutionary act by George Romero casting Dwayne Jones, and um, a, a sort of you know, Night of the Living Dead isn't just one of the best horror movies ever made. It was an essential step in independent filmmaking mm-hmm. and and by making that choice um and that again a choice i believe he made full well knowing the impact it would have 
um, he sort of set a new template for for indie film as well, not just for horror movies. Absolutely. So we go from Night of the Living Dead to a movie you're hopefully going to hear even more about in the very near future. But we're going to uh, the original 1992 Candyman, yes. which so I, I couldn't help myself of. So a lot of the movies that we're about to talk, we're about to talk about, I like some of them I haven't seen and need to watch them, but also some of them I haven't seen in forever. Candyman is not that. Like I did not need to rewatch Candyman the other night, but I did because I can't help it because so much of that movie is incredible. And like in particular, I still can't get the score out of my head, but that, that right there is again, essential viewing for a multitude of reasons, just the surface level impact that had on the slasher genre. Candyman is one of the icons out there. It is a very easily repeatable legend, but also with the, with the deeper themes throughout the movie, with how it is tied specifically to the Candyman legend and what brought that character into existence in the film world with the ties to slavery and his experience. And just also just the, the ideas of how, legends are spread and how they're spread differently in different types of communities. I think that's something that the movie captures extremely well. And I also think that could pave the way to not even just a worthwhile, like remake reboot or whatever we're calling the new movie, but, but kind of a vital one. It's one of those stories that, that, could continue to grow as like us as a human population continue to evolve and grow. So I am just so friggin' thrilled to get another Candyman movie soon. Yeah. I mean, you really hit it there. I think that this is uh, of all, you know, the, the horror movies that were inevitably going to be remade. This one feels so incredibly primed for an expansion um, for for giving the appropriate voices the control of the narrative. This was for as revolutionary as it was in the time, again, with the casting of Tony Todd and the, um, the retelling of the story, which is originally by Clive Barker and thus British and, British and was transposed into a sort of, you know, gentrified neighborhood in America. Um, all of that is essential, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's a movie that was made by and for white people, if we're being honest. Um, mm-hmm. You can see that in the way the subject of the horrors of slavery is largely brushed over in the first film. Um, mm-hmm. You can see that in the, who the main character is, how it's all portrayed. But uh, Candyman 2, Farewell to the Flesh, dug more into the slavery element, had more to say is also essential viewing. Uh, but, but really taking this property and giving it to black filmmakers to, to tell what is essentially their story is really powerful and overdue. And I guess we'll just talk about it all right now because we've had all this in chronological order, but there's no way to talk about this without getting into Nia DaCosta right now. Oh yeah, that's fair. (laughs) What an exciting voice she is and um, a tremendous choice to take on the legacy of this franchise and reshape it, of course, with Jordan Peele producing Um, but it's just, it's one of those subjects that was just had to be redone, reapproached, recalibrated. And it's, you know, if you don't really know much about gentrification or those 
those issues of, you know, taking over black and underprivileged neighborhoods, fancying them up so richer people can move in and displacing a whole population. This movie taps into that, but there's so much learning to be done there. I'm fascinated to see how that plays into the new movie. But really, if that's something you feel you don't know a lot about on, I, I highly recommend educating yourself, which is one of the best things you can do right now, into just how much that impacts and uh, not corrupts, but just uh, sort of dismantles societies that have built themselves up over decades and uh, is sort of tied to a history of violence against the black population. Watchmen made us all aware of the, the Tulsa massacre, which many of us were not. And that in its own way is one of the ugliest, most violent forms of gentrification. Anyway, point being, there are a lot of great charities to donate on this. Again, as Perry said, we will have resources and links in the description. Also, if you want a really human look at this, Oh my God, I cannot, in a million years, I couldn't find the words to recommend enough The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is just a gorgeous, poetic, beautiful movie about gentrification and identity and the sense of home and community and features a performance from Jonathan Majors that is the most excited I've been about an actor I'd never heard of before a movie before. I wasn't expecting you to bring that up because it wasn't like part of our horror list, but I'm so happy. Yeah. That's because, I don't know. Now I can't figure out years. Was that last year or the year before? Where that was hugely overlooked. Yes. It's got some like especially stunning cinematography in it too. Gorgeous. And uh, it's an A24 movie. So, you know, they, they they want it pretty. (laughs) All right. I might leave the the next the next few actually in your hands because I have not had the time to rewatch them and I really need to. Yeah. So um, in the 90s, there was this this, uh, you know, we sort of referenced the the hip hop affide horror movies of the late 90s, early 2000s that were a bit more. um not my place to say offensive, but le- it seemed more interested in marketing than in portraying a community. Mm-hmm. But before that, we had Tales from the Hood in 1995 from Rusty Cundiff and writer Darren Scott. And that is a, what a film. If you haven't seen it or if you haven't revisited it from the 90s, it really, it really holds up and it's really a big ass bummer how every single segment of the film is exactly the conversations we're having right now. Um, it's, it's stages, you know, these sort of horror skewed morality tales in the hood, as the title suggests, and whether it's, you know, police corruption or domestic violence, they're all still very timely. You can see we haven't made a lot of progress and they're still executed so funny and and made with a voice that is trying to to tell a story from from you know their community and their com- experience rather than exploiting that for money uh, but they're they're so fun and weird and I can't remember enough that I rewatched that a couple years ago before the second one came out and it held up so incredibly well 
That's, that was one of my questions for you because it's been it's been quite a long time since I've watched it. I'm just so curious to come at it with, with from from a different age and with a different mindset right now. Well, it's interesting too, and I think they flagged this in horror noir. I, you know, when I saw it as a kid, I didn't know anything. I was no. I feel thing that the horror elements in that are used as a restorative justice of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like the horror tends to be coming from coming for and from, but for the perpetrators of violence and injustice. And it's an, it's an interesting spin on how we use those genre conventions. And it really does hold up. It is so goofy. And yet at other times, so poignant. Yeah. It's a really special movie. And the second one, second one doesn't quite level up. Yeah. A lot of people really hated it. I didn't hate it. I thought it was fun, but it's not, you know, I wouldn't say you got to run off and go watch that. I feel like, I feel like a little bit of an asshole for not having rewatched every single movie on this list. Cause it feels like I need to be doing that with like way more urgency right now. And I f- freaking hate making excuses, but like, Man, you know how you know the stuff that we have to watch, and I do, I do. I mean, oh, there's not enough hours in the day right now, and there's certain priorities that I feel like I need to be getting to, but I also have to watch other things. It's just like it, it's eaten away at me. I feel like I say this a lot on this show, but I feel like because there's a different kind of motivating factor, it's eating it's eating away at me more so than it usually does. And well, so just you know. <laughs> Embrace that as one of your facing your discomfort points and make an effort to watch these films uh, in the near future, you know, rather than just beating yourself up over it. Because, yeah, I could do that. I could do that for a good while. But, uh, yeah, that's that's why that's why we talk about this stuff. So you can point out things like that for me. I try to be reasonable. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So next up, sort of similarly in the... uh, in the sort of like um, 90s movies that were a bit goofy, but mm-hmm. still hold up pretty well. We have Ernest R. Dickus- Dickerson's Tale from the Crypt Demon Knight, which is just so much fun. Do watch. Uh, but also, you can't really like... He also directed Bones, the, the 2001 movie. And neither of these are films that I feel particularly are like essential watches to help you understand racial justice right now. But he is an essential black filmmaker who, who you know, has has made these wonderfully wacky horror movies. And if, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Ernest Dickerson is like... He made two, well, one movie I love in Demon Knight and one movie that amuses me in Bones. But he's also like a legendary cinematographer, filmmaker in his own right outside of horror. He he shot many of Spike Lee's early films. He's just uh, an important voice to know. And while those films aren't at the top of the like insightful educating films, his his career should not be missed in this conversation. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, I first learned about uh, Ernest Dickerson back in uh, high school when I took like a mini class about Spike Lee films. 
And that was kind of actually another another title we're going to get to soon. I did the same thing with the Twilight Zone. And, you know, I feel, I feel like you don't get many opportunities like that in high school to really delve into someone's filmography or a series and actually explore all the different like the themes and the folks responsible for helping to make those films. And that was that was one experience that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I took a a lot of classes that haven't stayed with me, but I wish I took that one. So off, off topic a little bit here. I think I've told you this, Haley, but when I was in, when I was in high school, I was in like an alternative English program where it was supposed to be designed to like mimic the college experience where you could take Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, Friday classes. But another big initiative with that program was that you didn't take the traditional English courses. Like the students got the opportunity to kind of carve their own path. And if there was something in any field that they wanted to learn about, there was the opportunity to do that as long as there was analytical thinking involved. So whether it was Spike Lee movies, Twilight Zone, jazz, you name it, it's just like, I don't know. A program like that exposed me to way more than I might have been had I been in the regular English program. So I'm always, I don't know, I'm just always greatly appreciative for having had that experience. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, uh, I too was lucky with education, um, but mine was all like theater stuff. So instead of film, we had the option to take English classes that were about Shakespeare or theater or different oh, eras. cool. Yeah, um, I think that we had. I think I took one Shakespeare class in this program. I think it was the it was the Midsummer Night's Dream one. Nice, that's a fun show. It was it was a good one. I was glad I had picked that one. Um, we should not discuss race and Shakespeare. We are not prepared. No, for that not ready for that right now. No, so we shall move along to the next title. Uh, uh, Eve's Bayou. Yes, a very special movie. Yes, that is. It gets uh, understandably um, like looped in with horror because it does touch into voodoo and it has, you know, um, psychological horror elements with abuse and things like that. But I, I've always considered it more of a really beautiful character drama with some, uh, you know, para- not paranormal, but you get what I mean, those kinds of elements in there. However, you know I hate being a stickler for genre labels, and there's no way I want to get through this conversation without bringing it up. And the work of Casey Lemons, who wrote and directed it, you may know her perhaps best for her acting work. Um, she she played Jodie Foster's BFF in Silence of the Lambs. Um, it's just a beautiful, emotional movie about a Black family in the 1960s and sort of the you know, the, the, the fault lines in their family dynamic, the abuse of the father figure, the affairs, the just, it's just some emotional shit, man. And you know, I don't usually like emotional shit, but this one is so beautiful. It stars Samuel L. Jackson, Journey Smollett, Megan Good, if you're not familiar. And it, it's a really lovely movie that, that is one that feels like a, a insight into someone's life from their experience that you wouldn't get from another filmmaker. For whatever reason, I've always had like a major disconnect with her, with Casey Lemons' track record as an actor and director. Like, <laughs> like every single time I cover something she's directing, I'm like, Oh, she like, 
between well between Silence of the Lambs and I guess also Candyman, like she play she plays the best friend, which you know she deserves more than that. But she plays the best friend in some of the most iconic genre movies out there. Two of them that are uh, at the absolute top of my list. But I, I know no, she, that was the point made in horror noir, right? The black yeah. actresses were well, the best friend instead of the lead for so long. That, I mean that that was. I, for forever where you know like even even one of my favorite horror franchises of all time made made fun of that trope and i i feel like that's that's one of the tropes that like was subverted by embracing it and and finding new ways to explore it whether it was poking fun at it or making more of it and then it's grown into something completely different now it's uh yeah i i wouldn't be surprised if that was part of her motivation to tell this kind yeah. of story about a black family full of black leads. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was her motivation to focus more of her efforts on working behind the scenes and helping to foster stories that we wouldn't see otherwise if someone like her wasn't behind them. So as much as I root for her to continue finding great success in that area of the field... I feel like I still want a Casey Lemons like starring vehicle. Oh yeah, I mean if she wants it, I don't know how. Yeah, much I don't know if she wants it either. Starring, I believe she is definitely still acting. But I, I was just like peeking at her resume. I can't mm-hmm. see if there's any upcoming projects. But the last the last movie she was in was uh, Disconnect, which yeah, that was a while ago. I actually. saw that movie, but I barely remember anything in it. <laughs> Yeah, see, actually, now looking at it, I have old person brain. So when I looked at her resume, and it was like 2012, recent. That <laughs> <No>, was yesterday, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> All right. Speaking of 2000, not 12, but 11, sure. I can easily take us into the next one because I have watched Attack the Block more times than I can count. Um, I will never forget when that movie was first released. And it was just. Like something about the way that that whole story is packaged together are are things that really speak to the genre film lover in me, and it gave me so many things that I seek out in those movies, but so many things that I also wasn't typically exposed to. It brought me into a brand new world, and it introduced freaking John Boyega to this world, or at least introduced him in a bigger way than ever. It freaking made him a hero. And oh my, his screen presence in that movie is unparalleled. That whole ensemble is excellent. And it's one of those movies where you know how much I appreciate a great ensemble piece where you fall in love with the entire group, but the charisma on display and just, just like, the power and the capability and the fact that his character in attack the block makes me think that these kids have a fighting chance against invading monsters. I don't know. Every single time I watch attack the block, I'm just like buzzing with energy all over again. It's, it's such a great, great film. And I don't know if you want to see John Boyega's range, just Go watch Attack the Block and any Star Wars film back to back. I like there is I, I know his claim to fame is, you know, Attack the Block, but also the notoriety he's gained from the Star Wars film franchise. But he is an actor that has so much more to offer. And it really excites me that he's so young and he's got so many wonderful years ahead of him because I know we're going to see so much from him. 
Yes, he is. It, it's so I had not revisited Attack the Block for many years um, after. Well, not, let me rephrase that because that's horrible English. I saw Attack the Block. I didn't see it for many years. I saw Star Wars. And then I revisited Attack the Block. Um, I was floored, completely forgot how opposite those performances are from Boyega. Uh, because you, you, I think if it's been a long time, what you really remember from Attack the Block is like the power of the charisma he brings to the screen more than like how steely and um, just, just what a serious motherfucker Moses is. The goofy, fun, comedic relief he's essentially playing in Star Wars. Uh, he's so good. He's been obviously such an active voice through all of this um, forever. Like this dude has been ripping people apart on Twitter forever. He is not here for your nonsense. He wants to speak the truth. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And it was beautiful to see Hollywood be like, mm, no, you're definitely going to have a career. <laughs> you know, he's, He's a force of performance. And what I really love about this film, it is written and directed by Joe Cornish. Um, it is essentially about change on a local level. There's there's a really great piece on Collider you can read that I believe Greg Lawrence wrote that is all about that, about affecting change on the local level, which is definitely an important reminder right now when you feel so hopeless and like everything is so big and what what change can I bring to a problem this massive is really go local mm -hmm. fight for, you know, attack the block, defend your neighborhood, defend your, your, what is in your sphere. You can't change the president's mind, right? That's out of our grasp. You can work with local politicians. You can work on a local level. And I, I that is, I think, aside from the fact that like, fuck yeah, John Boyega, that is why this is a really good movie to watch right now. I don't know, this this movie, and I mean, a whole bunch that we've already spoken about, and especially this next one, I don't know, I just, this is, this is kind of why I like movies and cinema so much, because, yeah, on the surface level, you could look at just about anything as, like, pure entertainment, like, sit back, relax, and get told a story, but... Oh boy, is it entertaining. I, I, yeah, but... Sometimes it truly does make certain, you know, more difficult topics easier to process when they're, they're wrapped in this entertaining package that, that you're used to. And I, I just feel like I, this is probably a good transition into the next one, not to move on from Attack the Block so quickly. But this is a big part of the reason why I love Jordan Peele's Get Out so much. It's because I don't think a lot of the, the themes and ideas were lost on me on first viewing, but the fact that he's getting at some very specific points, necessary points to make, but does it within the context of a highly entertaining horror thriller encourages me, at least, I can only speak for myself, to want to jump back in and dissect it and understand it and watch it and experience it all over again. And every single time I watch that movie, and the same is true of us, every single time I, fi I find different ideas that are more powerful than the last time I watched them. And I don't know, I feel like movies like Get Out, for someone who needs to learn, that's the way to not only convey the message, but really like push it in and make it a part of my being as I continue to watch and watch and watch over and over again. 
Yeah, Jordan Peele is definitely a master of using entertainment to tell you an important story. I mean, that goes back to Key and Peele, that goes back to Matt mm-hmm. Key, where he was using comedy more aggressively to, to make those points. But a true, like, genius, master, like, yeah. the genius. He knows how to say things in a way that you'll not only listen to, but understand. And of course, you know, Get Out and Us are going to be among the most relevant that we're talking about because they were made about our era. Mm -hmm. Uh, But definitely, I I think like if you want to help your family or friends who aren't quite there yet understand what we mean when we talk about, you know, ownership of black bodies and cultural appropriation and things like that, there are very hard subjects that some people just like shut down when you start to talk about them. This movie does it in a way that uses that entertainment hook and curiosity gap to tell you what you need to hear. Um, and it is just so good. I mean, we all know that. We don't even need to talk about that, but it's so good. And it's, it's you know, it's a historical movie for taking home that Oscar for the money it made. But most importantly, it's just a damn good movie with a clear point of view, something to say and perfectly said. Have you there's a there was a piece that I was reading the other day about how how Get Out mirrors Candyman. Interesting. Have you read that? And it made me much more excited for uh, for the new Candyman and the fact that Jordan Peele is affiliated with it. I I hate that I'm bringing something up and I don't have the, the source article with me. But, you know, just, you know, the like reversing almost being like a reverse Candyman where you know, Candyman is is a white woman walking into a largely black neighborhood and it's flipped over here. And even just the ideas of um, there, there were certain imagery, cer- certain imagery that was kind of turned on its head and just basically how one one movie is almost mirroring the other. And that to me would suggest that Peel also has a lot more to say about Candyman, which would also give me more. It's going to be wonderful. But I don't, just when when you really think about all these things, I'm going to find that article and I'm going to put it in the description section. But because I want to mention more specific things from it, but it's like I feel like that article further highlighted the attention to detail in all of Peel's filmmaking and how nothing is ever there just to be there or just to move the story along. It all serves a very specific purpose, and I think that's why I have certainly gotten in the habit of being overly obsessed with analyzing all of his work. Yes, he uh, again. That whole genius thing uh, got quite a mind. I've it, used I've used the M word with his movies. Right, you have, and you, you are. So. Um, you know, I wouldn't call either of them quite a masterpiece. Maybe Get Out, but I did just call him a master. He's just like a, a master of ideas and writing, and uh, just a what a what a powerful voice to have in entertainment right now, and not just because of his genius, but because of his of other filmmakers and you know Nita Costa being a great example of that I'm sure that like you said I'm sure he's thought about Candyman his whole life and would not have hated directing that movie but the the chance to pass that on to another filmmaker is really valuable he's done Mm -hmm. you know he's done the same in the way he's promoted an incredibly diverse uh host of writers filmmakers actors in the new the Twilight Zone series Mm -hmm. Uh, which is not really for me. I I like my 
Twilight Zone a little less sweary and uh, you know it's sort of like Star Trek. I just I don't the the optimism and the the insight carries more for me if you don't make it R rated and cut out the kids basically. But it has become a really um, exciting platform for upcoming voices of all races, genders, ethnicities, everything. Oh yeah, well, well worth emphasizing for that reason. It did the, the new the new iteration didn't really do it for me. I kind of fell off. I think roughly midway through the season, but okay. I mean that that doesn't stop me from being curious and wanting to jump back in for the next go around, especially with the format that that show runs with. Yeah, and I mean, I have faults with the show. I do have to say Jordan Peele hosting is one of the best ideas of all time. Well, I'll give it one for that. <laughs> Those parts of the movie, they, that, that excites me. Yeah. Well, he's phenomenal. You know, it's, it goes back to all that. We, we now talk about more his genius of writing and directing and producing, but he's also a brilliant performer. I feel like it's incredible how quickly you could forget something like that because he's gaining so much notoriety in another sector. I was just talking about this with a family member. When you think about Key and Peele, a lot of times people think of Keegan first because he he tended to play a bit more of the flamboyant characters. Okay. Not always. Not always. Jordan was Megan. He was Star... What's it? Star Mike... Star Magic Jackson Jr. Is that from the Gremlins sketch? Um, but in general, like uh, Keegan Michael, he has his tremendous physicality. He's very tall. He's yeah. a, a radiant human being. If you've ever been lucky enough to interview him, he's just, uh, you forget easily that Jordan Peele went just as hard on every single performance. I'm like actually having a brain fart right now, trying to think of who I think of first. <laughs> Like it's and it's not working because I feel like all their accomplishments beyond Key and Peel at this point have just made them, you know, their own full entities to me. Yeah, so I don't that's know. I just like I, I actually can't figure it out right now. Well, good. That's for the good. I guess that's a good thing. My right. family sort of uniformly were like, "Oh yeah, I do think of Key more," and it, it could tie into again that now we consider Jordan Peele more of a filmmaker. That's no, uh, that would be a fair assessment if that's how, how your mind works. Um, do we want to jump into the next one? Yeah. So speaking of the Twilight Zone, one of the filmmakers that was recruited for that, I believe he directed the first episode, was Jared McMurray, who who did Burning Sands, which was a big festival hit, mm-hmm. and then was picked to direct the first Purge, which really took all the themes that were underlying the previous Purge films and put them right on the surface and made you look at it and talk about it. This movie overwhelms me. And I think, so when the movie first came out, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. It was one of those movies that I needed to watch again and sit with because I feel like the journey with the with the this film franchise has been all over the place <laughs> more so for the better than the worst because i feel like the tone of the conversation when blumhouse first introduced the purge franchise was largely you know the thrill of of another slasher concept another high concept that you could turn into a franchise. There's certain ideas in that first one that I do think, you know, touch on more important, like real world things. But 
I, I don't think that they were really veering in that direction. And I think The Purge Anarchy, while a great film, was a direct response to that, where folks thought they were getting one thing and it was a more intimate haunted, not haunted house, uh, home invasion type thing. So then they went the complete opposite route and it, it paid off well with The Purge Anarchy, which is much more of a horror action film. Then I think they started to embrace, you know, all of, all of those themes even more so, but did it in all the wrong ways with Election Year. I found election year so off-putting and upsetting and such a waste of what, like, the interesting directions they were starting to take that franchise in. And then what the what the first Purge is, which I needed more viewings to really appreciate, is exactly what I wanted election year to try to be. It's like, if you're going to get at that, you got to do it with a certain a certain level of quality and finesse in the writing and also the directing as well, because McMurray directs the crap out of the first purge. That is a very, very well shot movie. Yeah. And I think the first purge works so well that I couldn't handle it. Makes sense. And it's not necessarily a movie, even though I can recognize that now it's not a movie that I will pleasantly watch and rewatch because it upsets me and it earns the right to upset me. So that's where that's that was my journey with The Purge, which I mean, if you if you had told me where that franchise would have gone back when the first one came out, I'd be like, no way. Yeah, no way. So I think likely, you know, the the creator was always wanting to say those things i can't remember his name right now because i want to go thank you um but obviously the first film was a very marketable packageable saleable film um and then as as you just explained he got deeper and deeper into it i do think the first purge by far explicates those themes the best most intensely and like you said hardest to take away yet but i think that's um valuable like, oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of value in taking surface level entertainment that we got used to and numb to mm-hmm. and reminding you of the horrific social themes that inspired it. Yeah. And just to bring this up, too, because this this tends to be a thing when anybody out there reviews a movie negatively and then changes their tune on it later on. I mean, it kind of goes to the larger idea right now of like not being afraid to admit you're wrong and learn from something like that's, that's okay. That's okay to do. And I feel like you need to do that right now. It's like, I'm not going to completely say my initial reaction to the first purge was unvaluable, but it was part of my journey to really, really parsing through all those themes and ideas. And I needed multiple watches of that movie to understand why it upset me and to understand what to do with that realization. So, you know, for anyone out there who maybe, you know, like didn't like a movie or didn't understand any lesson in life, whether it pertains to a movie or not, and then you're required to learn more about it, that's that's a good thing. It's not a good thing when you know you're wrong about something and you won't admit it and you're just going to keep fighting it. But if you learn and you grow, good on you. Heck yeah. And I think it also ties into being comfortable with being uncomfortable. That movie makes you uncomfortable because there are uncomfortable things that are true in it. I do also, before we move past it, because I know we're running out of time. Yes. I want to say what a cast in that movie. Um, (laughs) Joseph Wade, Ilan Noel, um, Lex Scott Davis. There are many. It's a big cast, and I'm forgetting people. Yeah. But just um, 
really, I don't know. I feel like you can't take a franchise that dark without the actors to get you there. Yeah, that I was trying to look up the full ensemble quickly and I didn't, but <laughs> that ensemble is is definitely something else. So all all the credit to them as well. And um, I'm 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 very excited to see what McMurray does because like you say, he directed the hell yeah. out of that movie. Yeah. And Bernie fans, another movie, zero percent fun to watch. Very well made. Yeah, he's he's got that that kind of like natural eye and and that natural sense of like like feel for the tone of the movie and the pacing of the movie too. I just, he's going to go far. And I think the same is very true of this next director we're going to talk about. I see you. So I I know you're, you're a big sweetheart fan and I'm a big slight fan. I like slight too. I just, I'm a sucker for monster movies. I like love slight though. And I think Jacob Lattimore, like we need his name to be a bigger name sooner. Like I know he's still getting opportunities and he's great in this movie, but like, I, I just, I, I think he's so good. He's so charismatic. Your eye is just immediately drawn to him. And the same is true of Kiersey Clemens as well. Yes, but she's quite a star at this point. Oh, level. yeah. Because she, she's being associated with some bigger, bigger franchises right now, which I think is wonderful. But, like, let's give Jacob Lattimore a boost, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we were talking about J.D. Dillard. The, yeah. um, I didn't even mention the director's name. <laughs> wonderful writer, director of Slight and Sweetheart, who... um if this was an episode that was not about highlighting black voices, but just filmmakers I'm most excited about right now, he would also be on the list. Uh, it just, uh, he just seems to have the thing, whatever it is that, that you just look at his work, you look at his personality, you look at the way he deals with press and fame and public. He was just announced to be doing a Star Wars movie. He didn't hide from Twitter or anything. Dude just has what it takes, I think, to go really far. I mean, oh, wow, how fancy that I would say that than, like, J.J. Abrams made him his protege. Like, what I think is nothing. He already has top Hollywood seals of approval in that department. But really, I think he's so special and talented. I could not agree with that more, but I'm going to reemphasize his Twitter account too, because he is, um, I've said this before, but his voice online has, has served. I've had like, like a core group of people that have functioned as like a very helpful guiding light in a sense where I've definitely leaned on, you know, their voices and what they share in their own words, but also the things that they decide to retweet and share. And he's, he's in that group. I think he just, I don't know. I think he just like chooses his words wisely and they, they, they mean something to me. So I appreciate that as well. Um, part of that thing I'm talking about an innate ability to connect with people yeah. through his storytelling or his person, he just makes it easy for you to connect. He's a, he's, um, He's also just lovely. I was lucky enough to interview him at fantastic fest last year and was just bowled over by what a kind and generous human. Yeah. Uh, but I think that translates to his work, you know, and Sweetheart is very much a story about how we treat black women, about how we disenfranchise them and the lack of space we give them mm-hmm. and all these complicated themes told in such an entertaining monster movie that, again, makes it easy for you to, to take yeah. that on, whether or not you're the person who's like comfortable with that or if you're not there yet you can watch sweetheart and go like oh i get what that would feel like Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he's he's definitely up there in that respect. And before before we wind this list down, I know this isn't a movie that everybody can watch right now, but I did want to highlight one upcoming film that I was lucky enough to get to see at um, Sundance this year. And it was acquired by Netflix. And I have I have a feeling it's going it's going to make waves like this. This is one of those movies, again, just to borrow a descriptor we've used for a number of these. It is a very effective horror story with so many ideas that could be tough to swallow wrapped up inside of it. And this movie kind of just like bowled me over when I saw it. And it's, it's killing me that I've only seen it once. It's one of those things that I'm dying to see again, but it's, it's a movie with two powerhouse performances and it's a feature directorial debut from from Remy Weeks, who I believe has more of a, a music video background, but and the movie is called... Oh, have I not said the title of the movie yet? I'm losing my mind. It's His, house. Hands, his house. His House. And it's it's about a Sudanese couple, and they are fleeing to the UK, and they settle in this house that was given to them in a neighborhood where they're not really accepted. And it's just, like, it is a horror story that gets at I guess like cultural misunderstanding in a way that like I wasn't ready for it. Like the way it connects the two is like something that I've never seen before. And the two lead performances, I need to look up their, their full names very quickly because I only know their first names now. Um, but I hope I pronounce his name right again. Um, I had purposely like nailed the pronunciation months and months ago for Sundance, and it, it all just like evaporates from my brain. Um, Sope Derisu. I, I definitely pronounced that wrong, but he he is a lovely individual who I very much enjoy following on Instagram now. And also, Oh, why isn't her name coming up so quick? I have to go to the, the full cast for some reason. What is this? Time to be ranks by fame or something. That makes no sense because I, I think I say this in the Sundance interview, but Wunmi Masaku, please, like, write that name and, like, burn it in your brain because I think she is hands down one of the most talented, like, rising stars i've seen recently i saw another movie she was in called sweetness in the belly at tiff and for me at least she was the runaway star of that movie so when i got to follow that up with a lead performance in his house and she knocked it out of the park so so strongly i don't know she i I think she's going to be huge and it's only a matter of time Awesome. I'm looking forward to that hopefully when movies start happening again oh she's in lovecraft country too so I really think that's going to happen. I'm so I'm just so excited for her. Um, we another very exciting upcoming project. We focus mostly on uh, movies here, but that oh, and Jonathan Majors is in Lovecraft Country too. That performance that just stole every part of my soul. Uh, what a talent! I'm like, there's there's a lot of good stuff coming up. Man, I, I'm we're lucky that we didn't start listing all the upcoming things. To I'm I'm glad we at least like capped it there because we would be here for hours and hours if that wasn't if that wasn't the case. <laughs> um, 
Do we want to highlight before we go a couple of, because uh, we never highlighted any uh, charities that. Yeah, sure. So I'll have, um, I'm putting together a big list to put in the uh, description so you can easily just click over. But obviously, you can't go wrong with NAACP has been one of the longest running, most productive uh, funds and forces for racial justice. Um, your local Black Lives Matter, charity, your um, any of the victim funds. There are so many of them that will be linked below. I wanted to highlight. So I as I continue to to donate and seek out more organizations like this. Um, my sister brought one to my attention that I've, I've just really been thrilled reading up about it and their mission. It's called uh, Pretty Brown Girl, and it's been highlighted on a number of news networks and things. But the whole point of the organization is just to help empower uh, young girls of color to, you know, achieve achieve their dreams and do whatever they want. And I don't know, just reading about this and watching videos has been hugely inspiring and has motivated me to focus a lot of my attention on that organization. So please, if you have, if you're not aware of Pretty Brown Girl, do check out their website and we will include a URL to that as well in the description section of this video. Yeah. And I just want to say like, um, from the conversations I've been having on the ground, I am, I live with older people. I taught, I have a lot of um, friends who are in their fifties and sixties and, if you think these conversations are confusing or um, easy to go the wrong way for our generation, it's, I think, even more confusing and a lot to process for them because they didn't grow up with the Internet the way we did, learning a lot of these things just sort of naturally. Um, which is all to say that if you're feeling overwhelmed or unsure what to do or uh, not sure how to have these conversations, I definitely understand. I've talked to a lot of people like that face to face and really what you can do if you feel like, I don't know where to start. Donate is the number one thing. If you don't have money to donate, sign petitions, go local, work with your local government to try to enact change, have conversations face to face with people who need to hear hard truths. And maybe we'll be able to hear them better from you than from the news or the internet. Um, make a commitment to educate yourself, do the reading, Make a commitment to educate the people you love who may not be there. Um, you know, there are so many things you can do now, even if you're overwhelmed. And it's also just, again, too little is better than nothing at all. So so really don't let being overwhelmed stop you from from doing something you want to do, but you're afraid to do the wrong way. Yeah, I I cannot reemphasize that last bit enough. So I feel like I'm just going to direct you right now to the description section of this video. Please go check out as many of these films as you possibly can. Check out some of the organizations that we've highlighted. Get out there, be kind to each other, learn in the process and support black businesses. I'll link to some of those as well. Ah, yes. Yes, on some black owned horror adjacent businesses where you can, you know, not 
shop at the bad corporations and and make good good your money is everything really in in our our country where you put your money is everything so spend your dollars wisely it might make a, it might sound like a very trivial decision to decide where to buy a little something from but all those things do add up it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before where like you know maybe you can't change like the head of everything's idea but Every little thing you do on the ground level, on a local level, can add up to actually make a big difference in the long run. So make sure you know that there is great value in what you can do in that sense. So that is it, guys. Thank you for watching The Witching Hour. Again, please check out the description section of this video. And that's it. You have officially survived The Witching Hour. Ending broadcast. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.